Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, January 9th, 2021, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to elders past, present and future. My name is Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Nikki about Australian billionaires and how some have managed to actually thrive during the pandemic and global recession. We'll be speaking to John Stensholt from The Australian and former editor of the Financial Review Rich List on how they did how, how they did it and what it means for the economy. After that, we talk about the new TikTok trend that's sending users to a pretty scary part of the internet. Dubious video chat site Omegle. Backchat producer Vanessa Lim tells us all about how the new prank-related trend is exposing underage users to security breaches and inappropriate content. And as always, we want to hear from you. You can join the conversation and text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. Last year, the pandemic led to the unemployment of almost one million Australians as we fell into our first recession in almost three decades. But the rich continued to get richer, with some even profiteering off our misfortune. Last month, Australian Financial Review's Rich List revealed that Australia's billionaires became 52.4% richer compared to December 2019. In fact, the wealth of billionaires globally reached $13.93 trillion at the end of July 2020. To help explain how they did it and what this will mean for our economy overall, we're joined by the man who knows everything there is to know about the wealthy, business journalist for The Australian and former editor of The Rich List, John Stensholt. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. So how did the rich manage to get richer during a pandemic? Well, I think it's, I think you've got to say that if you, if you look at it from what you, what you might have bought during the pandemic or how you... Um, how you went about uh, shopping and things like that. So there's a few actual trends that probably skew it uh, a lot at the, at the very top of these rich lists. And I should point out that I do a list too at the Australian, uh, the richest 250, which will come out in a few months' time. Uh, so really, uh, think about it. Like if you bought more takeaway pizza or Hungry Jacks during the pandemic through drive-through, uh, the guy behind that got a lot, of, like, got a lot richer. Uh, people who delivered, um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, you know packages to people's homes in cardboard boxes. The guy who makes cardboard boxes got a lot richer. Iron ore is probably one that really skews it a lot. The Chinese still imported a hell of a lot of our iron ore, and uh, so the couple of the big miners behind, uh, you know, some of the biggest iron more, iron ore mines in Australia got a lot richer. Software uh, makers or developers got richer. So those are the ones that uh, if you, it's probably a good. Almost a good guide. If these people are getting richer, it means that their industries are doing better. So which industries are doing better is also a guide to who's getting richer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And what effect does this have on the economy at large? Well, I mean, the economy at large, it's still still pretty sluggish, right? I mean, I wouldn't say that every sector is thriving. I mean... If you own, uh, you know, these big office blocks in the CBDs of Australian cities, like no one's going to their offices at the moment. So those people, they're losing value of, of uh, on their assets. Uh, the shopping centre owners, you know, despite shopping coming back over Christmas, I mean, you know, there were months in Victoria in particular.
particular where, you know, this, the largest shopping centre in the southern hemisphere, Chadston, was, was, was closed, which means that the, the value of that asset went down. So if you want to sort of say it that way, then the billionaires behind those sort of assets got poorer. So, uh, look, I mean, the economy is probably you know, tracking a bit sideways at the moment. No, really, no one really knows what's going to happen to get us out of this pandemic, you know, save for a, uh, save for a vaccine. And, but otherwise, the stock market seems to keep going up and up, which is probably a little bit strange. But uh, I don't know. There's a lot of money out there that still wants to be invested. It feels like everything is kind of everywhere. Obviously, in the news, we hear all the stories about how billionaires are like making all this extra money, but the poor are just getting poorer. So how it almost feels like I'm getting a lot of contradictory information. Um, how do I make sense of it all? How have the gains of billionaires compared to the losses of the lower class? Like, can you help me understand all the contradictory information? Yeah, well, I think I think it goes back to which you know what. What are the what are we consumption habits during a during a pandemic, and what were people doing? The people who still had jobs were still working at home, so they needed the software at home. So the software that uh, you know that that, uh, that that was made by you know some of these you know, rich billionaires that, that that got more valuable. You know the the takeaway trend in food, the e-commerce trend in particular, the sort of home shopping trend. You know the Kogan dot coms of the world become a lot more popular. So that's that's the that's what's happening at the top. And really, if you look underneath that, the people that are losing their jobs certainly happen, you know, in those service industries. So the owners of those companies clearly not doing as well. So you're right; there is a bit of a two-speed economy, if that makes sense. There's, there's certain industries that are going really, really well. There's certainly in this, and there's certain industries that are not. So there is probably a gap, you know, inequality that's opened up. And I think that's what you're getting at, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So on that note, what can we do about the financial divide in Australia? Well, I mean, there's, you know, this, this is why we have government in place. This is why things like JobKeeper were were put in place. I mean, this is, you know, this is there is there is a certain amount of a uh, you know a safety net in Australia compared to other countries. I mean, uh, I'm not a government economic uh, uh, policy guru, but look, it, it does seem that the government, federal government, state governments have some sort of stimulus packages in place that try to try to. Uh, I try to subdue a little bit of that inequality, but there's no doubt that uh, you know in a capitalist system there is going to be inequality, unfortunately. And it's up to the I think it's up to the rich in a way to to prove to to really help out in that way. You know, we we do also a top philanthropic list every year, and while there's a lot of money that goes into philanthropy here in Australia, there's not as much in other places like America where it's a where there's a lot of big programs in that way amongst the wealthy elite. So, yeah, look, it's not fair in that way. I think the government does try to help, and I think the rich probably need to help more as well. Yeah, just going on what you said, um, in going back to 2019, 73 millionaires paid zero tax in Australia. Uh, did this change during the pandemic? And um, how you've just suggested, have the wealthy, wealthy been asked to help pay for Australia's economic recovery? Well, so the, the the tax office puts out a list every December. So it was only a few weeks ago where it came out, actually, which which lists the the, the, the highest taxpayers in Australia, the highest corporate taxpayers, and that's an, it's a list that I write about as well. It's a really interesting list. Now, I mean, you you do have the, the Gina Reinhardt's of the world who actually you know pay more than a billion dollars in tax. You've the big corporations do pay a lot of money. It's no surprise, I think, in that way that, you know, the biggest earners do pay the biggest amount of tax. Now, whether or not that's enough tax is a different question, but there is a lot of tax that's paid at that top level. Now, some that didn't pay it in previous years, I remember Anthony Pratt 
getting named as one of the ones that didn't pay tax. He did this year or the, the 2019, the most, the most, um, the most recent information. So even like, even I mean, I went through it. Even corporations like Apple or and others that uh, you know, the foreign-owned corporations, uh, that tend to sort of shift the shift their profits around, ended up paying some tax in Australia. So yes, there is a lot of tax tax paid, but the question I think is, is enough tax paid? And I think that's up to you know tax enforcement. I think that's up to you know government policies as well. So you know, there's, there's a bit of a there's, there's a bit of a couple of uh, you know different strands to that argument. I think. So as a financial journalist, I want to hear your opinion. Um, what's the most worrying financial change we've seen during this pandemic? Uh, oh, that's, a, that's a really interesting one. You know, what, one of the things that I looked at recently was this really big shift to, uh, to gambling, digital gambling, uh, you know, on horse racing and sport. That's, a, that's been a really big explosion of that. You know, people able to do that, you know, on, on their mobile phones. On also foreign exchange and you know contracts for difference trading, that's very very popular among younger people, uh, and that's a, I, I kind of feel like that's a, that's almost a form of gambling as well. Then I mean, you want to you trade currencies online. There's a lot of currency brokers here in Australia that are making huge profits uh, from people trading. You know these these really uh, you know, complex and and, and, and difficult uh, to understand financial instruments. And that's very, very popular amongst people, you know, at university and younger sort of professionals. So, look, that's a really interesting trend. Now, the the the, the corporate, uh, you know, the corporate regulator ASIC is is cracking down on that a bit, and there's changes coming in March. But there's companies that have made huge profits in the in the meantime from from younger, you know, maybe maybe you could say less sophisticated investors, you know, doing a lot of that trading. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, John, Shami has an econ degree, but for heaps of people, including myself, I pretend to know the answer to this, but don't. In fact, it's a trending question on TikTok. Can you explain why we can't just print more money? <laughs> well, I think I pretend to know a lot of the answers as well. But like, I think if this one, what happens if you print more money? You're sure there's more money in the system. But uh, you know, if you're not making enough goods or services to, for that money to be spent on what, you happen, what, what happens is the price of what's already out there gets a lot more, you know, it goes higher, I mean, so you end up with inflation, so prices of goods, you know, you the prices of your takeaway pizzas and all, or whatever you're spending your money on will go up, unfortunately, so you can print more money and you might have more money, but uh, the cost of what you're, uh, what you're buying with that money goes up, so it's probably a bit of a nil-sum game. John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. That was business journalist for The Australian and former editor of The Rich List, John Stensholt, on how the rich have profiteered from the pandemic and what it will mean for our country's future. But don't go anywhere because coming up, Backchat producer Vanessa breaks down the social media nightmare that is Amigle. The stuff people can get up to on that site is truly terrifying. But first, here's a song. This is Helen Back by Bacar. You're on FBI 94.5. So, Nikki, have you ever used Omegle? Unfortunately, yes, with a bunch of mates when we were in high school. And after a particularly scarring experience, I decided it's not for me, which I feel is pretty common. What about you? So I was never really exposed to Omegle until I recently saw something about it on YouTube. And, dude, it's wild. Like, I can't believe that you can talk to a random stranger one-on-one. Like, that's the whole premise of that chat site. There's zero regulation. Like, how is this not 
stranger danger. I completely agree. And our producer Vanessa Lim decided to deep dive into this topic as it's recently become a TikTok trend to partake in Amigle for entertainment. Take a listen. Warning. This story contains mentions of sex, child sexual exploitation, online stalking and blackmail. With TikTok exploding in popularity over the last year, young people have been influenced to partake in TikTok's popular dances, meme formats and more. Recently, a popular trend surfaced where TikTokers go on a meagle and create quick funny content for their audience to enjoy. This has led to a surge in popularity for a meagle, with young people going onto the site as a way to potentially meet their favourite TikToker and in general be entertained. Joining us to further discuss this Amigo TikTok trend is TikToker Annie Walker. Hi Annie, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. So how does a trend get popular on TikTok? A lot of the time it'll just be like one video that will blow up and then a bunch of people realising that that content has blown up and then doing it for themselves. Because it's like a one minute format, a lot of the content is stuff that's like easily recyclable. A lot of those trends rely on like the viewer already having like a knowledge of what the original video was or what other similar videos were like. So what are your thoughts on going on Amigle to create TikToks? I think first, like, it is entertaining content, I guess, because people already know what to expect from Amigle because it's obviously one person who comes in with a plan and then strangers reacting to it. But then also, I think that there's, like, a couple of issues with it on TikTok sometimes is that the people that are on Omegle aren't like necessarily giving consent to be uh, like publicized in that way. The third part is that it puts minors a lot of the time on Omegle, which like, I mean, as someone who was a minor that was on Omegle, it was definitely dangerous. As someone who has a platform, how do you choose the kind of content you post? If I make a video, I know that there is the potential for it to blow up. I've made videos that I thought were just dumb things that I would post myself and then it would get 20 views and then I would delete it. And like one of them got like 400,000 views. <laughs> it was like, it was okay because it was harmless content, but I would never like post something recklessly without thinking about any ramifications that it could have, especially considering that like it's an app full of minors. While TikTok trends can be fun to do, going on a meagle, especially if you're a young person, is dangerous. The site is full of strangers you've never met before, unwanted sexual content is common, your IP address can be tracked and so much more. Dr. Michael Salter, an associate professor in criminology from UNSW and expert in child sexual exploitation, talks to us about the dangers of a meagle. Hi Michael, how are you? I'm doing well, Vanessa, how are you? I'm good. With some popular TikTokers going on a meagle and influencing their audience to do the same, what are the dangers of young people on the website? What a meagle does is it's just completely random. You know, it connects you with just random people all around the world. And I think that brings with it a sense of safety. So, you know, for a lot of people, that's fun, that's um, exciting, it's thrilling, it's whatever. But there are no guardrails if something goes wrong. There's there's no one to reach out to. The site really doesn't provide, you know, any user security or user safety measures if something does go wrong. And we're seeing um, a lot of cyberbullying um, on Omegle, a lot of gratuitous nudity. Without question, we have um, child sex offenders who spend a lot of time on Omegle looking for kids um, and then um, soliciting them to um, show their bodies and, and engage in acts on Omegle 
and we are seeing offenders share that material uh, with each other on the dark web. So within the first few minutes of being on Omegle, it's clear that this isn't a kid-friendly website. So why are young kids still going on Omegle? Because it's like, it's a dare, it's risky. You know, I've talked to young people who say, you know, we did it, you know, we went on to Omegle uh, at a sleepover when I was 13 and someone dared me to go on it. But the problem is, is you've got to ask basically who's attracted to this site. But like, because, you know, frankly, reasonable adults at 25 are not interested in Omegle. It's kids because it's fun and scary. And it's sex offenders because they're looking for kids. And what, what happens with these sites is as they get popular with kids, offenders flock to them. And we start to see on the dark web offenders complaining that there's not enough kids on Omegle, that all that they're encountering is other predators. So it gives you a sense of how quickly the sites can be overrun. Ultimately, who should be responsible for making sure young people aren't going on sites like Omegle? I do not believe for a second it's the responsibility of children to keep themselves safe. And the issue with saying, oh, well, it's the responsibility of parents to keep kids safe. Well, a lot of kids don't have parents that keep them safe. So, you know, my message is always we have to hold these tech companies to account. And that means that our government has to hold them to account. Our government is responsible for outlining basic safety measures so that we don't have online services that are putting kids every day at risk of sexual exploitation. At the end of the day, despite Omegle being a dangerous website, many young people will still continue to go on the site until access is properly regulated. 21-year-old university student Nikhil Prasad talks to us about his experiences on the website when he was a kid and his thoughts on Omegle now. So my first um, encounter with Omegle was when I was, I believe, 10 years old. I I used it quite frequently for about two years. I can say that I've had quite a few positive experiences chatting to strangers just on the tech side of Omegle. For the video chatting section, usually what I experienced was a lot of sexual activity. Did you know about the dangers of Omegle when you are using it as a kid? Absolutely not. Like, reflecting upon it now, I had no idea, you know, the potential dangers that I could have been in. So why do you think, despite seeing R18 content, did you continue to use the site as a kid? It was a huge time killer for me. Like, if I was bored, I'd be like, hey, let's jump on Omegle today and see, you know, what I can get up to. It kind of entices you to go back. It's just that, you know, child's curiosity. You don't realise a lot of the people on the website exposing themselves to a child, knowing that I was a child, were of the age of 18. That was Backchat producer Vanessa Lim on a new TikTok trend that's sending young people to chat site Omegle that's tre- that's threatening their physical data, um, their emotional data, and their IP addresses too. And that's all the time we have on the show this week. A massive thank you to our guests, John Stensholt and Michael Salter and Nikhil Prasad. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Chantal Alcori, Nikki Iliogrieva, and Vanessa Lim. Before we go, here's Cherub by Ballpark Music. It's a great track uh, for this cloudy morning. Have a good weekend, guys.